Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Putting you on speaker if you want okay. to do your three, two, one clap business. Okay. Three, two, one. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. A place where pop culture creatives discover design icons that make us tick. And we share a few cocktails in the process. Today, as theaters begin welcoming more people, we're directing our attention to the art of cinema once again. While our bar isn't fancy enough to be found in the lobby of a high-end theater, we can certainly discuss a couple of movies with pivotal scenes that have a designed object at the center of them. So load up IMDb on your phone, add some extra butter to that bucket of popcorn, and join us once again as we slide back into our seats here at the bar. Hey everyone, this is Todd, and we want to thank our sponsors for today's episode, AIGA Austin and Meanwhile Brewing in Austin. Hey everyone, this is Elliot, and we just want to say these guys have been great, and they are going to help us do a combination, wouldn't you say, Todd? It's sort of a hybrid online and in-person event, but it is going to be hosted in a bar. Yep, laid-back atmosphere and bringing some some podcast um, love to the Austin AIGA chapter in Meanwhile Brewing. We couldn't be happier. So, guys... Take a look at our social media channels. Take a look at AIJ Austin's social media channels. And we will have all the links so that you can sign up and be part of our fun in bar or drinking at home or drinking wherever you may happen to be listening to this podcast kind of experience. All right, Todd, I have a question for you as we jump into this uh, yes. episode. Okay. Yes. Do you know what a MacGuffin is? Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, isn't it that uh, fake hairpiece that you wear, like, downstairs? <laughs> I think that's the uh, McMurkin. Okay. I just I didn't really know why why you were asking, Elliot, because I thought you just heard the introduction of what we're supposed to be talking about. I was I, I went I went to the bathroom while you were talking, so I didn't hear the whole thing. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, I actually I do know what a MacGuffin is. It's a uh, it's that thing that propels a plot point forward. True. Yes. I'm glad I'm glad I had my spit protector over the microphone for that sentence too. <laughs> I thought you were going to say your thesaurus, which, by the way, I've, that is also in a pinch a good spit protector. <laughs> but 
Back to MacGuffins. Yes. Okay. So the reason I was asking is, yeah, a MacGuffin propels the plot forward. You know, it's kind of this thing that the cast is all in pursuit of, right? It's sort of the kickoff to an adventure. The Maltese Falcon, a MacGuffin, right? You know what? Right, right. Let's very quickly rattle off some famous MacGuffins. Okay. The Lost Ark of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. One-Eyed Willie's Treasure from Goonies. Uh, the plans for the Death Star in Star Wars. No, that's a schematic. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, three out of four ain't bad. All right, all right. So uh, so we're kind of talking about designed objects today that are uh, a big part of a movie. Um, maybe not a true MacGuffin, but a big part of it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really props or... Other things like that. They're they're sort of semi MacGuffins. What right. let's let's call them egg MacGuffins. Egg MacGuffins. I love that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You know, the breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Uh, right. so why not start it with an egg MacGuffin? All right. All right, so you start. So when I was thinking of a movie scene that has a designed object at the center of it, you know, I was I was rolling through a lot of different thoughts here. But one that has come up over the years with several design friends I have is the business card scene in American Psycho, the Christian Bale movie. Do you oh, know this scene? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really the one of the few scenes of that movie that I really remember. Yeah, I think a lot of people remember it. I mean, it's really funny, actually. I say design friends, but... Uh, there's some non-design friends I know that <laughs> that's sort of their introduction to design. <laughs> and so maybe that says a lot about us and you and I and the profession we've chosen. Yeah, because it was so, what I remember about that is, um, I mean, business cards are important to you and me and other designers, but uh, I've never seen it as a, a central part of a movie like that that actually caused uh bad things to happen right (laughs) right right. yeah 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 yeah. normally you think about let's say a movie set in the victorian era people might have a calling card they would give the calling card to the butler and so as a conveyance it was sort of a transition to have the person enter the scene or exit the scene but yeah it wasn't the the crux of uh yeah 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 it didn't lead to directly to bad things happening so anyway so that's that's the scene I have in my mind. So when I say MacGuffin to you and we're talking about the movies and everything, what, what pops into your head? Well, so mine is, you know, probably it is a little bit more of a MacGuffin, but I would say it's, a, it's lighter on the designed side. And um, it's interesting you chose American Psycho, Elliot, because the movie that I chose is also... Uh, centered around greed but it takes place years and years and years before American Psycho and what I'm talking about is a classic movie from 1963 called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and I'm talking about the W that they are on the hunt for. That <laughs> yeah, has treasure the, buried the big under it. W that the was the, on w. the dying man's lips, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and that's all they they knew was a big W. So uh, that had very little uh, um, gave them very little clues to go on. Yes. So <laughs> that's great. And and before we get into for those of you who don't know, mad, 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 mad world. If you've been listening to other episodes that uh, 
Todd and I have been cranking out. You know that we love Mad Magazine. We love madcap comedy. Mm-hmm. And um, as a as sort of a meta moment, uh, you know, I think I had mentioned this to you in the past. Um, the poster for this movie was mm-hmm. illustrated by none other than Jack Davis, one of our favorite Mad Magazine. Jack Davis. Yes. yes, Mad Magazine illustrators. So the title ends up being just a little bit meta, I think. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sorry we're kind of going on a little tangent here, but Mad Magazine did a parody of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World and called it uh, It's a World, 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 World Mad. So. <laughs> we'll have to find the link to that and post it. Yeah, which is brilliant. Okay, let's go back to the greed and uh, greed is good 80s and hear about how this scene in American Psycho plays out and how a business card is at the center of it, Elliot. (laughs) Okay, I think where where you and I tend to coalesce, even though we're a decade apart in age, you and I are both children of the 80s, I think. Mm -hmm. You and I both have high respect for the decade that, that was the 80s. So let me give a little bit of background here. This movie, American Psycho, for people who haven't seen it, um, it's based on a book by Brett Easton Ellis, same guy who wrote Less Than Zero, another movie that was made into a film. Um, The book was released in early 1991, but the story is set in the 80s. So it's set Mm -hmm. really at the height of all the Wall Street nonsense. And I mean... Wall Street nonsense in the sense of like Wall Street, the institution, but I also mean Wall Street, the movie, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is this is one of those scenarios where and I don't think this is coincidental. The book is set in 1987 and that happens to be the same year. The Michael Douglas vehicle Wall Street was released. Right. Mm-hmm, Greed mm-hmm. is good. Gordon Gecko. You just mentioned that. So, yeah, yeah. again, like very self-referential, very, very meta. OK. So the movie itself, based on this book, came out in, I think, was 2000. And it's a dark comedy slasher flick based on this book. So it's kind of like Heather's, you know, another 80s movie. Oh, what a great right? movie. Yeah, yeah. Christian Slater, Winona Ryder. So it's sort of like Heather's meets Wall Street. Right, You know, right. those, those two movies smashed into one another. So Christian Bale is the lead plays the central character, this guy named Patrick Bateman. Mm-hmm. So he works for a company called Pierce & Pierce, which is an M&A firm, a mergers and acquisitions firm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with this scene, so you've got all these yuppie douchebag investment bankers. They're all in a conference room together, right? They're getting ready to, you know, who knows? Who knows why they're in there, right? They're just like right. showing off, basically. They're getting ready to go to lunch, whatever. And they're, they're talking about their plans for the night. And among other things, they're trying to one-up one another with their cards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they're all busting out these business cards from the business card holders they have in their breast pockets and, and whatever, right? You know, you can't have your cards get wrinkled. They right, cards, right, right, right. I mean, gee whiz. What you need we, a Prada. You need savages? a Prada card. You need a Prada card holder is what you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know where you can find them. <laughs> for another time. <laughs> yes. Okay, so these guys, again, these are investment bankers, right? These are not designers. These right. are not 
printers, you know, they have no, unless they, they've like. But aren't they sort of obsessing over the card, the paperweight and the fonts yeah. and stuff so like this that? Is, this is like, this is very, they see their cards very much as an extension of themselves. Right, right. right. So they're, they're, peac- they're peacocking, you know, they have their Valentino suits, they have their haircuts, they have their this, their that. So they're talking about how they get uh, reservations at the best restaurants in Manhattan and all this sort of stuff, right? So while they're doing this, they're they're producing these business cards. So, yeah, they start putting their cards out and comparing them to one another. I think there's probably some sort of phallic undercurrent here that we can make about organ size, right, masculinity and so forth. They're discussing paperweights, colors, thicknesses. Um, Bateman, when he produces his card, he thinks he's hot shit because his card is letterpress printed, right, right? right? You know, boom. You know, take that. And then there's typefaces, right? They're talking about these these typefaces. And, and it's great because the typefaces are actually made up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're not actual real typefaces. The, the typefaces are real. Like on the cards, they're real, obviously. Right. But, but, the but they are... talk about, yeah, but they talk about like Cillian Rail and Romalian. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> watching this. Yeah, I just remember watching this and thinking like, what? Like, Either there is, like, this whole swath of typography I'm completely ignorant of, or, like, the person who wrote this had no clue what was going on. Like right, it was so just, let me ask you a question, Elliot. Do you think that more people went to a printer asking for their cards to be printed in Romalian, or more people went to a bar in Georgetown looking for St. Elmo's fire? <laughs> <laughs> You, well, you know what? I'm gonna say it's the latter, and okay. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you why. Like okay. I can actually qualify this this statement. So the business cards are, are status symbols and all this stuff. But what's great, and I can only assume that there was a prop person somewhere with a huge smile on their face, is that the cards, in a lot of ways, were true extensions of each of these characters presenting. Because uh-huh. uh-huh. first of all, none of the cards matched one another. Right. Yeah. If these guys were all like working for the same place, you would think there'd be like a keeper of the look and feel, you know, the identity police that you and I are both very familiar right, with. Right, right. Uh, yeah, apparently the police didn't get the memo. And if they did get the memo, it was designed five different ways by five different people. Because, <laughs> I mean, these cards are all over the place. Seraphont, right. sans seraphont. I mean, it's bonkers, right? So none of the cards match, even though these guys all work for the same firm. And obviously, you know, as the scene goes on, it's because they all think their card's the best. Right, like, well, why right. should I match you? You should be matching me. You know, right. my, right. I'm, I'm the, the A player, right? I'm the lead dog here. So Bateman, you know, slides his card out with confidence. He's kind of the one that tips the first domino that sets mm-hmm. all of this mm-hmm. in motion, right? Mm-hmm. And going back to reference what you said earlier, there's this guy in the very beginning of this scene that he has zero respect for, okay? Mm-hmm. But this guy had given his card to um, Justin Thoreau's character who plays the, the head of the firm. And Thoreau's character had, like, just tucked it inside his breast pocket of his jacket, you know, because mm-hmm. it was had nothing to do with, you know, the conversation hadn't started yet. So goes around the table, everybody presents their card, and Christian Bale's feeling pretty good, right? You know, Bateman character, he's feeling pretty good because his card is still he thinks it's still better than everyone else's, right? right. Just came from right. the printer, letterpress, life's life's pretty good. Paid a lot for it, I'm sure. 
Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. So then, over the course of this scene, what's great is the conversation comes up, and he says, well, hey, what about so-and-so's car? You know, what about the guy who he had zero respect for who left? Mm-hmm. And they, everybody kind of looks at each other like, well, I don't know. So this guy isn't even in the room anymore. Mm-hmm. So they, they dig in, you know, Justin Thoreau's character digs into his, his pocket, pulls out the original card that he received, and it is better than any of the other cards, right? <laughs> so, so it's just great because this guy, everybody thinks this cat is a goof, right? right Everybody's right. kind of like shining him, you know, whatever. So he rolls out, you know, has this card, and then this cripples Christian Bale's yeah. Uh-huh. Character, I mean, cripples him. Like he, you know, his fingers start trembling. He drops the card. He starts to have flop sweat. You know, other people are asking him if he's okay. So basically, long story short, later that day, he ends up in a later scene. He's so pissed off that his card is not the best card uh-huh. that this other guy unknowingly one up them. Uh-huh. That you know, I mean, Todd, what do you do in a situation like this? I don't know about you, but I think the natural response: you go out and you kill a homeless man and his dog. That's why. Why not? What else are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, gee whiz, makes sense to me. That's right. So you know, obviously, that speaks to the American psycho That's title right. a little, mm-hmm. and obviously, it's a dark sort of comedy. <laughs> I have some more facts, but I don't want to dominate the conversation. I want to hear more about right. the big W. Speaking of movies, I don't want to have to make a scene here in the bar just to get a refill. Come on, Elliot. Let's not make this one more place we're getting kicked out of together. Folks, we need to get this under control, so let's take a quick break. Go ahead and refresh your own drinks, and we'll see you back here in the bar in just a minute. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So, come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. Hi, while we have your attention, if you want to learn more about us and the podcast, there are a few ways to do it. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. All of that is spelled out. No numbers. Kind of a long URL, so do yourself a favor and bookmark it. Once you're there, you can find links to more information about the subjects in this episode, our episode archive, and information about both of us. Wait, we do want people to visit, right? Well, oh, and look for us on social media. You can find those links on our website as well. And while we're at it, if you have a friend who you feel will dig on our rambling, 
Tell him or her what we're up to. While we can't guarantee that they will remain your friend, we can guarantee that they will listen to at least 30 seconds of whatever episode you send them the link to. <laughs> That's being a little shameless. And speaking of being shameless, it wouldn't be a proper ask if we didn't mention that if you like what you hear, you can also make a donation via our website. We have a Nigerian prince handling all transactions for us. In fact, he told us to mention that we have stickers to mail to anyone who donates $10 or more. Are we done? We're done. We're done. Let's see if we can connect these seemingly disparate uh, movies and uh, designed objects uh, as centerpieces of movies. So... Uh, as I said, the, the movie that I first thought of is from 1963, and it had been years and years and years and years since I had seen it. So I went back and rewatched it recently. And it is, you used the term madcap comedy earlier. It is the maddest of caps. It, it is truly it, like a, it's a live action mad magazine. Oh, yeah, there is so much going on. It's amazing. It is exhausting. But the thing, uh, so a little bit about the movie um, for people who haven't seen it. And uh, again, came out in 1963, and it is essentially a road race. Um, but it's uh, what happens, uh, and I'm not giving anything away because this happens in the, the first two minutes of the movie. Um, a car goes over a cliff uh, in mountainous region of Southern California, and people who were driving along uh, that this car had passed, they witnessed this. Uh, they all stopped to pull over to see what happened to the guy. So they, uh, they go down into the valley where the car went over, and the guy is laying there. He's still alive, but just barely. And uh, this is where you know that it's going to be uh, madcap because he tells them that he wants them to search for this money that is rightfully his. And it's $350,000. And uh, that today would have been $2.8 So, you know, a decent chunk of change. And he keeps saying that it's supposedly it's buried under a big W. Now... The guy who is dying, who had uh, essentially stolen this money and hidden it and then gone to prison, and now he's out of prison, and then crashes, is Jimmy Durante, the famous entertainer. And it just sets up that there will be cameos by everybody in this movie. So think about these uh, five very different types of people, these eccentric characters that just meet out of nowhere on a road and are all told at the same time that they should find a way to get this money and split it, essentially. Long story short, they argue and they can't. Um, so one common thing that I've seen already about both of our subjects, my movie is also about greed. It was produced <laughs> and directed by Stanley Kramer, who was, who was known to take on kind of... Um, social, um, societal um, challenges and, and social messages. He also did The Defiant Ones and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and Kane Mutiny. 
Um, so all, all madcap comedies themselves. All madcap comedies. Yeah, that's what was so odd about um, it's a mad, mad, mad world is that you know this one is not like the others. And as I said, what makes this is this all-star ensemble of that era's most prominent comedians. So I'm telling you, like, we could not assemble this level of talent in a movie today. Let me read off just a few of the folks. And some of the folks don't even have lines. They just show up for a brief scene. So Spencer Tracy is the lead. Um, Ethel Merman, Buddy Hackett, Sid Caesar, Milton Berle, Mickey Rooney, Dick Sean, Phil Silvers, Jonathan Winters in his very first film. Uh, Edie Adams, Jimmy Durante, I mentioned, and then some uncredited performances, too, by... From Cleveland. He grew the, up in oh, Cleveland. Oh, wow, lover. Lover. Uh, Andy Device, Peter Falk, Norman Fell. Mr. Of Three's Roper. Company's fame. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Buster Keaton, Don Knox, the other landlord for Three's Company, <laughs> Jack Benny, Jerry Lewis, and the Three Stooges. I mean, it had literally, this movie had everybody in it. So um, what happens is they all take off on this road race for this giant uh, quest to find the big W. Along the way, all these problems happen. Uh, they get sidetracked, they get held back, they have all these misadventures, uh, they try to outsmart each other, trick it's each other. It's Cannonball Run before other. the Cannonball Run was a thing. That's right. It was the inspiration for Cannonball Run. What happens is um, they are actually seeking this fictitious state park down near the Mexico border. Again, this was in Southern California. It's called Santa Rosita State Park. Um, which is actually, the, they shot it in a place called Portuguese Bend in Rancho Palos Verdes, California. And the uh, park was landscaped specifically for this movie, which is important to the plot of the, of the Big W, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so once they get there to this park, what they had discussed is a Big W. It's it's a water tower it's a windmill it's all things that start with w but new no, it's a little bit more in your face than that and so much that it's hiding in plain sight and i'll leave it at that it's a landmark though it it's is definitely yes. a landmark it is definitely once you see it you see it and by the way we the movie viewers see it before the other people recognize what it is and and we'll we'll have a clip for this on our oh yeah yeah page. yeah yeah and, so and people, again, people like, are who are curious about it yeah so rest up when you watch the trailer because again it's, ex it's exhausting <laughs> it's, to watch so it's, it's uh, 30 pounds of poo crammed into a 20 pound bag for oh sure. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but i wanted to share this with you there's a couple funny bits um and i think we should probably play some of the critics comments as well the critics love this movie elliot and one that i thought you would particularly love this is a direct quote from new york world telegram and sun <laughs> they said i'm gonna say i'm gonna say it really seriously so it sounds official a wham doodle humdinger said stem winder, <laughs> stem <York>. winder. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, I think the man. next time someone asks me what I think of the design project they're working on, I'm just going to say it's a real stem winder. And just it's leave a it at that. a wham-doodle humdinger. A wham-doodle <laughs> humdinger. Um, 
and and interestingly enough, this movie is so cram full of action that each actor was given two scripts, one for the dialogue and one for the action. And uh, I found this interesting tidbit that, as you know, if you've seen it recently, like I just did, it's so true. At the time this movie was made, which I think it was made in late 1962, because um, it came out in 63, there were only about 100 stunt performers in the country. 80 of them worked on this film. So 80% of all stunt performers were in this movie at the same time. <laughs> That's awesome. That's why there are a lot of dramas, I guess, during the release. Yeah, yeah, in exactly. Early 1963. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, funny. So interestingly enough, um, as I said, the search for a big W, and I kept for the life of me trying to figure out why a W. You know what? What did that mean? Um, because it turns out it didn't mean water tower or windmill, and it had nothing uh, to connect to the story. Uh, other than just a big W. So uh, if anyone knows, if anyone has a theory on that, please let us know. But I couldn't think of anything that would connect it to a W. But it's uh, definitely an entertaining movie, definitely worth a watch. And, uh, you know, rest up is all I'll say when you watch it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, now, Todd, given the, the cast of characters... Um, I'm sort of disappointed. There's there's one thing that you neglected to point out. What did I miss? That Ethel Merman is in our favorite comedy of all time, in another cameo. Oh, that's right. Oh, see, it's just a golden thread, isn't it, Elliot? It just it ties really all is. together. Well, you know, well, that's another thing about our favorite movie of all time is it has the similar uh, cameo factor of uh, oh, hundred percent people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean. Yeah, you start to look at, yeah, whether it's Airplane or Cannonball Run or any of these other movies, they're all, this is sort of like the, um, I don't know, like the 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 famous Bing Crosby, Bob Hope road picture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but with like a hundred other people in it too. <laughs> you know, it's like everybody's road picture. It's like if they made Ocean's Eleven, you know, today, but made... Made o- it with, Ocean's uh, 59 or something. Ocean's 59, yeah, I was going to say, with five times as many famous yeah. people. It looks like they just had a blast. They hung out. And you know, this is really kind of funny, too, because um, the do you know the budget? I looked up the budget, and uh, the budget for that film in 63, it was $9.4 million, which I thought was pretty high for that time. Yeah, absolutely. But you got to, I guess, you know, Baby had to get paid. Yeah, well, if you think that 350k translates into close to three million today, yeah, you know, you yeah. can really start to do the math and figure out what that is. You yeah, know, it's like yeah, it's like I mean, a it's a thirty million dollar film or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that was great. And something I didn't even mention, but uh, our, our friend Saul Bass did the opening credits for yes. this movie as yes. well. Yes, we'll we'll post that uh, on the episode page too because I think that's. That was awesome. Yeah, and here's another little tidbit that uh, uh, you, Elliot, and all of uh, the other trivia lovers out there can use when they play. A guy that was assisting Saul Bass with this animation was a guy named uh, Bill Melendez who went on to do all of the Charlie Brown uh, Peanuts animation series. So that was one of his early bits. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I love that. I mean, it's 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 always amazing how we're all sort of standing on the shoulders of giants. You know what I mean? I mean, pop culture, pop culture always always pays dividends down the road. I think. So, back to American Psycho. Yeah, speaking of dividends. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so let's 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 cash our chips in here. Um, how many how many awful uh, <laughs> financial puns can we come up with? Um, okay, so business cards as status symbols, you know, and the business cards represented each of the characters. We were talking about that. Okay, so I want to circle back around because there is a another rogue card that appears later in the movie, okay? Uh-huh. All right. So there's a character that um, Christian Bale's character approaches this guy in the bathroom and, you know, with the intent on killing him. But the guy, as it turns out, has the hots for Christian Bale. And so Christian oh. Bale, you know, ends up ends up not killing him. So when you when you see this character's card, his card appears later in the movie, mm-hmm. but it's it's printed with green ink and gold foil. It has this very florid, flamboyant typeface compared to the others. Mm-hmm. So again, the thinking is, I think, in a in a veiled way, it's kind of this this nod to him, you know, being gay. Flamboyant. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or you know, it's like he he will reveal that, right? It's kind of like right, revealing right. the business card. So, you know, that kind of like bolsters this idea of everyone being represented by their card. Right, right. So I thought that was like a very clever like prop device, right? But this is one thing that's even <laughs> – I don't even know if this is on purpose or by accident. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, these guys work for – Pierce and Pierce, and it's a mergers and acquisitions firm. So, like, uh, there's a uh-huh. there's like a word mark that's their logo, or it's like derivations of this one quote unquote logo. Because again, everyone interprets it differently on their cards. But um, acquisitions is actually misspelled on every <laughs> one of these cards. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, it misses uh. the C. Like it's it's spelled A Q U I S I. So it's hilarious that out of all these jokers. You know, no one can even correctly spell the profession that they're in. So all of all of them are damaged in some way. Each of their personalities has yeah, a, a damaged yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's it's really great. Bateman's card, like if you actually go back and and look at this. So this is you know Christian Bale's card that he's so proud of. Right. There's also another typo. So there's actually um, a space missing between the the company is Pierce Ampersand Pierce. Uh huh. And on his card, there's a space missing between the ampersand. And the second Pierce, like not only is there a, a misspelling in the business name, but then they didn't even get the spacing right. Like it's really great. Yeah, so yeah. The, the and so the thinking is there. There's like a great theory online about this that the card is actually brilliant in that it presents on its surface as being very clean and very mm-hmm. like upstanding, kind of mm-hmm. like the character. But the mm-hmm. longer, and it's also like the trim on it is off. So like the margins, like everything is quote unquote off center. Mm-hmm. So the more you look at this card, the more you're like, man, this 
this stuff just really doesn't add up. Something's not right. Yeah, Yeah. like there's all these little details that start to manifest themselves. Yeah. And so, again, that's a nod to this guy presents himself very well at first, but the more you live with him, the more you're like, uh, there's yeah. like a lot of little weird things that are happening. So here. It, it was like, it's about the, the flash of the first impression, but when it gets to the substance of, of, um, of quality or something like that, uh, it's, it's just not there. Yeah. It falls apart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to also return to something else that I mentioned earlier. Which is, remember how you asked, I wonder what, what you know, if people are going to look for Sin Elmo's Fire, if they're ordering this card, etc. Right, right, right. Okay, right. okay. So, in doing research for this, there's actually a, a printer online called Hoban Cards. Uh-huh. And they actually have, they cleaned it up a little bit, like they got rid of the, the typos and whatnot. Uh-huh. But if you want, if you really want, they're a letterpress print shop. You can get your own American Psycho business cards with your own information on them. <laughs> oh, man, that would be so awesome to give to people and see if anyone notices yeah, it. Yeah, picks up it? on it. But li- literally, the reason why they did it is after this movie came out, random people were coming to them and saying, I want the card from that movie. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. No kidding. So, like, this wasn't something they did as, as a goof. They did it in response to market demand, apparently. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? I just thought of another similarity between our our two movies. Um, while they are not, uh, the, you know, one is a, a dark comedy and one is very much a very <laughs> light, colorful comedy. Yes. Um, and both are about greed, as we said. Um, as uh, Mad World goes on and on and on, um, the group of people um, starts growing so they have to share the wealth if they find this, but their vehicles uh, and their clothing, their their demeanor is deteriorating as it's going along because they keep getting in all these jams and cars are falling apart and you know being crashed. So by the time they get to the the place with the big W, they have all had to pretty much get in taxi cabs and drive because all of their <laughs> modes of transportation, they've done everything, bicycles and, you know, um, stolen cars and everything, but they've all deteriorated. So they all start off really proper and, you know, respectful of each other. And then by the time they get there, they're like ready to kill each other. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of this, this base level behavior, right? Yeah, or, yeah. or yeah, the, uh, the facade gets gets pulled away, and it's this is what's left. Yeah, I guess greed does uh, you know make people act strangely and um, not really look at their proofs on their business cards, right? And Todd, I would say you and I are are greedy as well, but only to the degree that we appreciate it when other people buy us drinks. Exactly, and you know what? I'm kind of in the mood for that right now. What say you? I would love that. So, yeah, if you want to buy me a drink, I'm, I'm game. All right. So let's, uh, let's head over to the bar. Until next time. All right, man. See ya.
Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.